0: Oh, man, that was good, wasn't it? It's all a little bit overwhelming uh, at times. I was laying in bed last night trying to go to sleep and uh, just, (sighs) and I think I went through puberty last night, so, you know, just working things out this morning. No, I just, uh, man, I just started thinking through all the different people that made an impact on my life. You know, I'm 47 now. You know, some of the the mentors that I had, some of the friends, uh, peers that I've had, some of the people that I've been able to invest in because of that investment in me, and it just, man, I mean, I was just laying in bed just weeping last night, honestly. Um, Just grateful. Grateful for people that, that loved God enough to love me when I wasn't easy to love. And grateful for the opportunity that I have now to to share that with others, knowing that, man, my life was resurrected, <laughs> and the path that, that I was on, my family was on, was not uh, being obedient and faithful to Christ, and God has flipped that script in my life and in so many of you guys, and so um, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a joy to stand before you today, knowing what it took for me to get here, what it took for many of you to get here, how far God had to go to reach you and get you here this morning. So... Um, but as a pastor, I have the opportunity to uh, talk with a lot of people who are kind of at the crossroads in their faith. And maybe they've been coming to church for a while, and they've been hearing this message about Jesus, and at some level, they believe that the information is true. I think a lot of people can kind of look at this, you know, some of these facts of like, yes, we're all sinners, that we need a Savior, they, they can believe that Jesus died on the cross for them, and that, that offered them forgiveness, and that he rose from the dead, they're, they're really not arguing any of those things. It's just that, that kind of in life, they're, they're just kind of stuck, struggling to make the transition from believing some information about Jesus to having their lives transformed by Jesus. Jesus. And those are two very different things. And they're not sure how to begin living differently. And it can seem very daunting to people, um, and maybe you can relate to this, who you were living and acting and thinking in a certain way for a long time, and now all of a sudden God comes along with this new message and this new way of operating, and it's challenging. And so I try to encourage them by, by explaining that God is just, he's ready to meet them right where they are, and however much faith they have, however much knowledge they have or don't have, that, that he's in this with them, he's committed to helping them, that, that their part is just continuing to, to take the steps forward that they know are the right things, continuing to come to church, continuing to, to look at the word of God and try to understand it, try, continuing trying to pray and worship with and serve alongside other people. Be in community with other people who are on the same path, pursuing the same things that you are, and I try to reassure them that God is committed to, to our success in our spiritual journey. You look at Jeremiah 29:13, for instance, and it says this: "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. We have a God that wants to be found. But it can feel pretty overwhelming. That this unknown way of living maybe as a new follower of Christ. And you look around at culture and you realize, man, I'm swimming against the stream, trying to be like Jesus. It's not how the world operates. And I've seen a lot of people uh, that get to that crossroads and things get difficult and they just turn back to their old way of living. The the broken ways that landed them in church to begin with. And those are the people who usually try to avoid me in public. You can almost hear it, like in V. V. Uh, yeah, we got a pastor sighting in lane three, aisle three. Repeat, Pastor Bob in aisle three. Abort shopping trip, all right? <laughs> Guys, change is hard. But, but God is so committed to helping us all along the way, and we're gonna go into more detail on that today. Now I have to give this Easter disclaimer every Easter about what I'm not trying to do today, okay? I am not trying to convince you that the resurrection really happened. There's a lot smarter people than me that have written books on that topic, okay? The factual evidence, the circumstantial evidence is stacked in favor of that being true. I'm much more concerned with the question, because it happened, what does that mean for our life today? How did something that happened almost 2,000 years ago, how does it continue to impact people, billions of people, all around the world, even now? And during the season of Lent, kind of the past six weeks, we've been taking a look at the Gospel of John, and we've been paying attention to the things that Jesus said in his last hours, it was on the night that he was betrayed and arrested. And he gathers up his closest friends. And these were his last words to them. These guys who he knew in just a few hours that their world was gonna be turned upside down. And so he knows that this has the potential to be incredibly discouraging and disheartening, challenging for them. And so he, he goes to great lengths to try to reassure them that everything was going to be okay. He explained to them, but it's even better that he leaves, because he says, if I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to live inside you. You're going to experience a a deeper intimacy and communion with God than you have ever experienced, even with me right here. And he told them that that when he leaves, that he would still hear their prayers, he would answer them, that they would do greater things than even he did, but no one could have predicted the horror of how it all transpired arrested put on trial sentenced beaten executed buried all within a dizzying 24 hour period of time it was swift dramatic and seemingly final End of story, so it seemed. But then some flickers of hope. News of an empty tomb started to trickle out. First by some women who went to the tomb on Sunday morning to pay their respects to Jesus. And they ran and told Peter's kind of two closest disciples, Peter and John. And they went and they looked at the tomb as well and it was empty And then there's this story about these two disciples that were walking home from Jerusalem and all the horrible events that had happened that weekend back to their hometown of Emmaus, a few miles away. And they said, the risen Jesus sat down and had dinner with us. And these stories are circulating. And in the days that followed, Jesus actually appears to his disciples again. Like they're in a room and all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room, right? And he even lets them, touches wounds, shows him his scars. And it had to be unbelievably exciting and scary all at the same time, right? But the question remained, what would their relationship with Christ look like now? On the other side of these two incredibly dramatic events, the crucifixion and the resurrection, what would intimacy with Jesus look like in this time? So I want you to open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21, it's page 989 in your pew Bibles, John 21, and we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 14 today, but I want you to notice right away, if you could just kind of skim down to verse 14, Verse 14 tells us that this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Talk about reassuring, right? Jesus is going way out of his way here to try to comfort the disciples and to meet them where they are in their confusion and trying to figure things out and let them know how this was going to work moving forward. So let's look at verse one. It says, afterward, Jesus... Appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So this third encounter with Jesus takes place in Jesus and the disciples' kind of home turf in northern Israel and Galilee. So Jerusalem is in southern Israel, so now they've they've journeyed to Galilee, the region that they're all from, where this whole movement kind of started. Why there? Well, in, in Matthew 28, 10, and 16, Jesus had given these instructions. It's up on the screen, I believe. It says this. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So at some point after the resurrection, the disciples head home per Jesus' instructions to wait for his arrival, on the mountain, that's where Jesus told them to go and wait for him, okay? But let's look at verse two and three, right? It says it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means twin, he had a twin brother, Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. So seven out of the 11 remaining disciples are there. And apparently, they get tired of waiting for Jesus on the mountain. Because Peter goes, hey, I'm going fishing. Right? So they had to come down from the mountain to get to the sea. And I think Peter is just, I don't think he knows what's going on. I mean, all this stuff that's happened, first of all, his denial of Jesus, and then his execution, and now people are, you know, we've seen the empty tomb. He's appeared to us. He's telling us to go up here to Galilee. I think he's just like, what what is going on? I think it's really hard for him to see how are we going to bring the kingdom of God here when our leader Jesus is not with us anymore. I think he's just incredibly troubled. So like many people do when the next steps of faith seem hard and overwhelming, Peter goes back to what he knows. He goes fishing. And as I said before, I've seen this same scenario play out with so many people on their spiritual journey right they they try to go to church and they try to change and become a better person right and maybe that works for a season but inevitably life gets hard and all of a sudden things aren't maybe changing at the pace that we'd prefer and we can get impatient waiting for god to fix us Or to fix our circumstances, or to fix other people around us that are annoying us, right? And then you just don't see them anymore. And they just kind of drift back to their old familiar ways of living and operating. And my thought is here is that Peter wants something that he can control, he wants to engage in something that he's competent in that he can get some results from. And that brings some temporary comfort, doesn't it? When we do that. It's just that it doesn't require much faith. It's pretty much just trusting in our own ability. And as kind of the leader of the other disciples, all the other disciples kind of fall in line behind Peter, like little ducklings, and they're like, okay, we'll go with you, right? Right? And I want you guys to keep something in mind here. The disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus on two other occasions. They they had touched and seen the scars and the holes and stuff in his body. And they're still doubting. They're still doubting this whole mission to be fishers of men. I'm sure some of us think Maybe you've had this thought before. Man, if Jesus physically showed up in my house and told me to go do this, that, or whatever, man, I would do it. I would believe, no doubt. Maybe. (laughs) But man, faith is a pretty tricky thing. I've been following Christ for over 30 years. And I could, if you had some time this afternoon... I could sit you down for a couple of hours and I could tell you the things that God has done in my life. Unbelievable, miraculous things. I could recount them for you. But I guarantee you that in my life right now, I still doubt. (laughs) When troubling circumstances come into my life, I still struggle to believe sometimes, even though God has done unbelievable things. We forget what He's done. We forget what he promises to do so easily. So what happened on their little all-night fishing expedition? Well, when they took matters into their own hands and tried to seize some control and kind of tried to return to some normalcy in their life, the Bible says that they caught nothing. And Jesus' words from just, you know, a few weeks before, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, John chapter 15, verse 5, Remember what Jesus said? He's talking about staying connected, abiding in him. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, man. And here's where the story gets kind of funny. I want you to look at verse four. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Now, the more accurate translation of that passage, that word friends isn't a very good translation. The real word there that they use is really the better translation is the word children. Jesus called out to them, children, don't you have any fish? He already knows the answer to the question, right? Don't you hate those people? And he's not really necessarily chastising them. It's really Jesus' way of kind of saying, hey, how's that going for you? Kind of going back to your old familiar way of operating and doing things. Does that work it out well? And man, I do that for sure. Not the Jesus part, but the disciples' part. Something happens in my life that's upsetting, and man, you know, the first words out of my mouth are, oh man, you know what, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm just going to trust the Lord, and I'm, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to let God move in people's hearts. And that lasts for about two days tops. And as soon as I get this inkling that this story's not going to move in the direction I want it to, oh man. That's where it gets ugly, because all of my worst traits start to come out, and, and I'm, I'm going to do whatever I have to do, and so I, I use my persuasive words, what I think are persuasive. <laughs> I manipulate situations and people. I try to control circumstances so that this thing moves toward the desired outcome that I want, because I just want some peace and i think peace is going to be well it's just going to it's going to turn out the way i want it to i have a lot in common with these fishermen maybe you do too and to their credit they shout back to the stranger on the shore an honest answer no now let me ask you a few questions Is it safe to assume that there are fish in the lake? Is it safe to assume that these fishermen know what they're doing? Then why aren't they catching anything? Maybe they're using the wrong bait. Yes, good answer. What do you guys think? Why are they not catching anything? Raise your hand. This is like school. Yes. Yes. Because they didn't do what Jesus told them to do. Right? Jesus isn't allowing them to catch any fish. Why? Why not? Yeah. There's what? Yeah. He's wanting to make a point to them, right? He just told them that apart from me, you can't do anything. So now he's showing them how true that statement is. Let's look at the first part of verse six. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So just to test their obedience, he gives them these instructions that just are kind of ridiculous, Hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. I'm sure they're thinking, oh, that's the problem. We've been fishing on the wrong side of the boat all night. Thanks for letting us know the right and proper way to do this, stranger guy. But did you notice what Jesus said? And you will find some. You see, Jesus makes promises, not suggestions. And this is where things probably start to click for Peter. Some of the other disciples are like, this is familiar. Because <laughs> way back at the very beginning, about three years earlier, their, one of their first encounters with Jesus, they had been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus is, is teaching and the crowds are kind of rushing in and he's up against the lake and so he gets Peter and he says, hey, I'm going to get into your boat. I want you to push a little way from the shore to give me a little barrier from the crowd here. And then he preaches, and then he turns to Peter, and now it's like hot, noon, sun, worst time to fish. And he says, let's go out to deeper water and cast our nets. Right? And you remember that interaction? Peter's like, Lord, (laughs) I've been doing this for a long time. I'm really tired. But in the end, he says, but because you say so, I'll do it. And they had this miraculous catch that day. And they saw the benefits of being obedient to a command that seemed irrational. Jesus has a tendency of seeing ridiculous things, doesn't he? When you read a scripture, (laughs) we talked about some of this last week, right? Loving your enemies, forgiving people 70 times, seven times. Right? He says, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you want to be the first, be the last. Return a blessing for a curse. And he gives us this this way of life that is continually counterintuitive for us and demands our complete trust in him, which is why I think he designed it that way. Don't you? Let's look at the last part of verse 6. It says when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So once again, when they're obedient, there's this supernatural super abundant catch. Now let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus just tell the fish to jump into the boat? Why does he tell him to cast the net? Yes. Okay, because it takes action, faith. What else? That's great. Yeah. Because Jesus isn't going to do all the work for them. Jesus isn't going to do all the work for them. He wants us to participate with him, right? Because then we get to celebrate when things go well. He wants us to be a part of the mission. Let's look at verse 7. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, because remember, they they didn't recognize Jesus. Peter wraps his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. I love this. I've spoken to a lot of of my friends lately uh, who have teenage children. And they've been lamenting to me. Everybody, all the teenagers are like, would you talk to him? Is he talking about us? (laughs) Just assume yes. And they've been like, oh man, my kids are driving me crazy. They're so impulsive. They just react. Just whatever happens, let's go do this. I'm gonna do that. And there's no thought process going on at all. And so I read this this week and I was like, there's hope for you. That was Peter, right? Right? Your kids might be okay, might. Because Peter just, it's Jesus, just dives in, and starts swimming in his heavy toga rope, whatever he's got on, right? Let's look at verse eight. It says, the other disciples followed in the boat, which made more sense, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, folks, Jesus had been working on breakfast while they were still disobedient. And he wants them to know that this intimate relationship that they've shared for the past three years hasn't changed post-resurrection He's the same Jesus who wants to serve them, who wants to share a meal with them, who's their provider. And this continuing image of this intimate Savior, guys, I, it's hard for me to explain what a scandal that was to the Jews. You have to understand that in the Old Testament, for centuries, Jewish people, they couldn't even say the name of God out loud. The Bible says that you could not look at God and live. And now they've had this God with flesh on, Jesus, who's interacting with humans face to face. That's why Jesus got beat up by the church, because they were like, that's blasphemy. There's no way that's possible that God is that intimate. That God is is involved in the mess of our lives, that He laughs and He cries with us, and He sits down to have dinner with us, and that He washes our feet, and that He serves us dinner. Guys, you guys understand why in Christianity we say there is no God like our God. No other religion in the world does God have that kind of an intimate relationship with mankind. Guys, this is unique. It's what sets Christianity apart, one of the things. And look at what he says in verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Bring some of the fish you have just caught. How cool is that? Jesus gives them the credit and lets them participate in this feast. (laughs) That's like me getting to heaven one day. And Jesus kind of pulling me over and saying, hey, everybody, I want to introduce you to my friend Bob. Bob, tell these guys that story about that church you started in St. Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I'd just be like, oh, no, don't make me do that. And he would be like, no, 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 guys, just come here. This is Bob. It's a great story. He's <laughs> going to tell you how he started this church in St. Joe, right? And I'd be like, I didn't do anything, but he would insist Because, guys, he wants us to feel good about our obedience. He wants us to be encouraged when we get it right. (laughs) He's a doting father. He's constantly trying to kind of stroke our ego and set us up to be the hero. I want you to skip down to verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. How casual and normal is that? Hey, let's go to Big Biscuit. Come on. I'm buying. You know, it's funny when I sit down and I have those conversations with new believers and they they say things like, oh, man, I could never pray out loud. Oh, I could never share my faith with people. That's so scary. And I'm like, really? I mean, this Jesus guy just said, come and have breakfast like he's just the most chill dude you'll ever meet. It's not complicated. He just wants us to be real. He just wants us to share our heart with him and with other people. He's just proud of us for trying. And remember, this whole event that we've looked at began with a command. He said, Go to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. And it's this invitation into intimacy in relationship. And Jesus' invitation is the same for us today. He says, instead of trying to go back to your old life when things get hard, Jesus gently speaks to us and he says, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation with a promise. He says come to me. Not go and buy a bunch of stuff to make yourself feel better. Not go on vacation or try to distract yourself or hang out with your boyfriend or girlfriend more. Or go achieve something, get straight A's, you know, win your race or your game or whatever it is that you try to do in life to feel worthy or significant. He says come to me. And what? You will find rest. Not you might. you will. How? Well, because of the miracle of the resurrection, Jesus says, there's now a way that the Holy Spirit is going to be unleashed in this world. And if you continue to read the story, we see that in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside the hearts of everyone who puts their trust in him. And since we have this perfect Savior inside of us, we have access to perfect hope and perfect peace and perfect love and perfect joy and perfect patience and perfect whatever you might need in life. It's there inside of everyone who claims to follow Jesus waiting for us to tap into it. It's like the, the tree that's got the syrup in it. You just gotta put the tap in, right? I don't even know that, how that works, but I've seen it in movies, <laughs> cartoons maybe, right? It's like this Holy Spirit's here. You just gotta tap into it, let it start pouring. Turn over to Romans chapter eight, we're going to end with this today. Some of you are like that's the best thing he said all morning. <laughs> Romans 8:11 The guy writing this was a guy who was killing Christians that God changed his life. Paul. Verse 11 says this and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We're going to read that again. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And what that means is that our story is never over. Often in our stories, in our life, we feel stuck. And sometimes Jesus comes into those moments and he says something seemingly ridiculous. Like, put your net on the other side of the boat. Idiots, right? And sometimes in our life, we, we think we know what the pass through is gonna be, and then Jesus says, no, I want you to go and I want you to confess your sins to them. I know you feel like they owe you an apology. I want you to go and confess how you were part of the problem. And you're like, dang it. It's like Seinfeld, right? Newman, Newman. Jesus' way is so challenging, right? And it's in those moments, (laughs) it's in those moments that we have to decide whether we can trust the Savior who loved us enough that he laid his life down for us so we could be free, that loved us enough that he conquered death to give us hope that those seemingly dead and hopeless circumstances in our life could be resurrected. It's where the rubber meets the road on our journey. But guys, here's the thing that we have to remember is that the work's already been done. The way has already been cleared out. This path, it started on Easter Sunday. And now it's up to all of us to believe and to walk like it's true. To believe and to walk like it's true. If we want to see something resurrected in our life, we have to believe that it's possible that we serve a God who is able and desires to resurrect it, and then we have to walk and live like that is true, that if we cooperate with his spirit, and that's who he is, that he's gonna take us to places of resurrection. Guys, I've seen too many marriages on the brink of disaster where two people have come to the table And have said, okay, God, if you're in this, resurrect it. And he does. Time after time after time. That's just one example from life that I could pull up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story today. As we look through scripture, it's just kind of funny sometimes the stories that you put in there. And maybe kind of what the reasons are and why. And so in the midst of your post-resurrection 40 days or so that you spent on earth before you went up into heaven, there's this story about this miraculous catch of fish. And there's just so many interesting details there, Lord, about man's disobedience and, and, and your faithfulness and... God, that when we obey and and you allow us to participate in things, it's this this overwhelming, abundant catch that, that they're like dragging into the shore because they're just weighed down by your goodness. God, you are a God who is waiting for us to obey so that you can unleash the blessings of heaven onto our situations God, you don't want to just restore our marriage or our relationships or our finances or whatever. Like You want to overwhelm us with goodness in those places because we've put our hope and our trust in you, that we've listened to the seemingly ridiculous things that you might be asking us to do, that you know are the right things but just in the moment don't feel very good. God, I pray that our level and trust of you would increase I pray that we would find that you are faithful and God, that we would begin stepping out and living in new ways, knowing that you're gonna meet us there. God, that you're, gonna, you're holding our hand, you're walking with us, you're encouraging us. God, send people around us if we're in one of those places where we're just kind of doubting and struggling. God, encourage our hearts this week. Lord, thank you for making a way to resurrection. Help us to believe that it's possible in our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.